Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Now look, we don't want to be mean here, and let's be honest, in Doctor Who you've got the Master, you've got the Weeping Angels, and of course you've got the Daleks and the Cybermen, and then you've got the rest. With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Who Culture, and here are the 10 worst Doctor Who villains. Number 10. Jagrafess. Starting off fairly safe, we have the mighty Jagrafess of the Holy Hadrojacic Maxarodinfo. That's certainly a mouthful. No wonder the editor gave it the nickname Max. Saves time. And so many fluffed lines, poor Simon Pegg, as gigantic, slimy, sharp teeth blobs on the ceilings go, the Jagrafess is up there with the best of them. Does it make it sound like an enticing villain? No, not really. More flaws come in when you consider this creature was supposed to be the downfall of humanity's fourth and great bountiful human empire. The long game is always a slog to get through, and the Jagrafess is one of the fundamental flaws that takes us right out of the episode, amongst a few other elements. I genuinely find it difficult to comprehend that this monster is capable of doing what the editor informed the Ninth Doctor. It just looks like a wild beast that is incapable of intelligent thought, even if it growls and they are supposed to convey some sort of dialogue between it and the editor. Things are made all the more jarring when it's later revealed that the Daleks installed the creature to aid them in manipulating humanity, thus furthering their plans to resurrect themselves. Yeah, sorry, I'm not buying it. That, and it's just a bland, uninteresting CGI beast that doesn't do a lot and can easily be defeated by simply reversing the cooling system on Satellite 5. Number 9. 79B Aikman Road Now, a lot of you might be wondering, with this title and this entry and going, who the hell is that? Remember The Lodger? The episode where the 11th Doctor stays with Craig Owens? Yeah, 79B Aikman Road is the flat above that lures innocent bystanders inside and ultimately kills them. Not intentionally, of course. It simply requires a pilot and attracts those who wish to escape their dull existence, thus giving the broken autopilot hope that it could get the ship up and running again. Unfortunately, human minds haven't got the willpower to do such a task and ultimately are killed in the process of takeoff. There was a time that I simply enjoyed the lodger for what it was, but over time I've grown to dislike the story more and more. If the 11th Doctor's weird behaviour wasn't cringe-worthy enough, alongside Craig Owens not being an annoying side character, then it's the fact that the villain is just a bit of an awful lazy concept, really. You're hoping that the build-up to what's really upstairs is something worthwhile, but it really isn't. Sure, it's a neat little shock to find out that there really isn't an upstairs flat, but once you get past that, it's just nothing special. It's just dull, like a lot of the episode. In fact, I'd go so far as to say it's all just a little bit bit pointless. The fact that this would later connect to the silence in Day of the Moon makes for even more laziness in trying to make this lame villain something worth giving a damn about. And it gets defeated by love. Enough said, really. Number 8. Harvest Rangers 
The Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe. Such a wasted opportunity on the part of Stephen Moffat. What could have been a really fun take on the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, similar to what Moffat did with A Christmas Carol a year prior, quickly divulged into a travesty of a story. Its opening scene promises a thrilling adventure, but then immediately throws all of that away to tell a bland narrative instead. I don't actually mind the Arwell family, and I felt the emotional baggage on Madge's shoulders. Disappointingly, everything falls apart once they go through the Christmas tree planet, which you'd assume would be the main highlight. Then, of course, you await for the villains to arrive. Naturally, you assume it'll be the creepy-looking wooden king and queen. But no, it's actually the Harvest Rangers, who do absolutely nothing and are easily captured by Madge, who fools them with her fake crying. The sequence is utterly baffling, and is some of the worst example of Moffat trying to force in comedy. What's worse is he's wasting the comedic talents of Bill Bailey, for crying out loud. Seriously, what's with Doctor Who in wasting comedians? Alright, it's only happened a couple of times, but still, the only reason that these three dumb, pathetic characters are deemed villains is because they're preparing to harvest the forest. Poor attempt at environmental messaging? Number 7. Sentient Oil what Stephen Moffat did with the pilot was somewhat genius, in that it felt like a soft reboot for the series, acting as an easy pickup point for newer viewers, while still respectively accommodating for older fans. Saddling, the opener teeters when the villain is introduced. Apart from the fact it just seems to come out of nowhere, it's absolutely laughable. It had become apparent by Moffat's last series as showrunner that he loved indulging with the idea of transforming everyday objects and elements into something utterly terrifying. The likes of memory, statues, shadows, children, clocks, and even the frickin' monster under our bed and then he does puddles. Credit to him for trying to make a puddle scary, but it didn't quite work. Sure, there is that one scene in Bill's flat which is incredibly tense and spine-tingly, almost something out of a horror movie, but this is really the only moment that plays to Moffat's strengths. The rest of the time, the sentient oil simply takes on the form of Heather and chases Bill and the Twelfth Doctor around space and time. The real issue lies in how it's able to travel such long distances and what the entity really is in the first place, because it's left a complete mystery. Plus, this thing ties into the weak romantic subplot between Bill and Heather, which is completely underdeveloped and simply doesn't hold the weight and payoff that Moffat intended. Number 6. The Wire Mark Gaddis, for all of his talents, comes across as a bit of a hit-and-miss writer. Sometimes his stories are good, other times they're not. When it comes to the idiot's lantern, it just becomes complicated. There's a great story to be told at the heart of this script, and the whole subplot with the Connolly family is actually pretty decent. The journey of Eddie being the stern, self-absorbed bully is something of a treat, especially when the Tenth Doctor puts him in his place and gives his family the courage to eventually show him the door. Then you get to the wire and things become rather clumsy in its execution. The whole premise of something existing in the television is actually chilling, and an idea one would expect from Gattis, given his love for horror-esque elements. Even the imagery of people having their faces removed is so unsettling, but The Wire herself is just a cringeworthy villain, especially when she just screams she's hungry over and over again. It's annoying because The Wire is a despicable creature whose only interest is rebuilding her original form, but the way the actress portrays the role makes that bitter element just come across as cartoon. In many ways, The Wire acts more like a whiny child who constantly demands for ice cream until it gets one. Not really something you want for your main villain. Yeah, this one is frustrating because The Wire had such promise with its concept and threat level, but the execution completely lets this one down. Number 5. Iraxa. 
Oh look, another monster crafted by the mind of Mark Gattis. Unlike with the Idiot's Lantern, this story is downright awful. In fact, it's that bad that I've not sat down and watched it since its initial release back in 2017. I hold a bitter memory of this episode, and looking back at old reviews I did on the episode, yeah, it's fair to say I don't have anything nice to say about it. It's a shame, really, as I appreciate Gattis as a creative individual, and adore the Ice Warriors as a Doctor Who monster. However, Empress of Mars delivered nothing but disappointment in both its writing and direction. Nothing remotely worked, and it's an absolute travesty on the part of the Ice Warriors, especially with the appearance of the first female member of their race. What made matters worse was the acting. Iraxa just came across as a pantomime villain, childishly absorbed, overly loud, and completely non-threatening in her portrayal. Even the sly inclusion of Alpha Centauri to retroactively explain how this embarrassing skirmish between two opposing ideological-led parties resulted in the Ice Warriors' joining the Galactic Federation. The classic Who plugin ultimately just made matters worse. And before anyone argues why this villain is so high in this list based on memory alone, it's simply because those before Iraxa are more tolerable and we can more easily watch and enjoy their respective episodes. When it comes to Iraxa and her thankful one-off appearance, it may never materialise there again because my experience was just so painful. Number 4. Absorbaloff Oh, you knew this one was coming. And I'm sure there's plenty of you now who are wondering why on earth this abomination isn't at number one. Then maybe some of you like the Absorbaloff, in which case to each their own. While I admit this creature's awful, it's not the worst of the bunch, but it is an embarrassing reminder of how wrong villains can be utilised. The saddest part about the Absorbaloff is it was invented by a child during a Blue Peter competition. That said, it doesn't make the monster any less ridiculous. Then again, there was nothing preventing Russell T Davies from doing something interesting with this children's design, considering the monster could literally absorb its victims. That that in itself is rather horrifying. Shamefully, the Absorbaloff is played off as a massive joke, pushing poor Peter Kay to undergo the worst performance in his long, talented career. Basically, you know you've screwed up when the actor playing the role demonstrates a clear sign of regret. Love and Monsters, as an episode, really does no favours for the Absorbaloff, throwing away so many interesting ideas about an innocent individual becoming obsessed with the Doctor, who slowly discovers the darkening nature of his adventurous life lifestyle for the sake of a half-baked narrative that takes none of its core ideas seriously. Number 3. Mr. Clever this is another entry which kind of baffles me. Considering Nightburn and Selver was written by Neil Gaiman, it shocks me that we received such an underwhelming installment, not only for the Doctor, worst of all for the Cybermen. These absolutely terrifying creatures are supposed to be given an update, and instead the episode is just a bit of a slog. Naturally, it was the hope that Neil Gaiman would be the solution to making the Cybermen truly frightening again. However, his creative decisions were a bit odd, almost as if he didn't understand the Cybermen at all. Or, he thought he was writing for a completely different monster entirely. The icing on the cake was Mr. Clever, the cyber planner that latches itself onto the 11th Doctor. This enemy was a strange addition to an already mixed bag narrative, giving the entity held no resemblance to a Cyberman whatsoever. For starters, it had too much emotion and charisma, which is unbecoming of a Cyberman, i.e. emotionless cybernetic monstrosities. Maybe its connection to the Doctor altered it, but even then it's a massive stretch of the imagination to consider this thing a product of the Cybermen, forcing Matt Smith to under undergo a confusing performance. Had it been a completely different alien computer, then perhaps it would be a different story, but as it stands, Mr. Clever fails on every level, and brings more shame to the baffling concepts applies to this once iconic foe. Number 2. Crasco. Rosa 
went all out to deliver an important message, whilst also shining light on a crucial piece of history that helped change the face of modern society. However, what ultimately let down this historical storyline was its villain. Krasko was an utter embarrassment. Not only was he underdeveloped, thus being presented as a mere one-dimensional adversary, but Krasko was painfully trapped within a blatant attempt at a political commentary. Politics and Doctor Who is nothing new. In fact, a lot of stories within the show's long television history have been elevated by the writer's political views. The Daleks themselves are a byproduct of this mindset, so it wasn't beyond expectation to assume Krasko could be turned into a successful antagonist. Sadly, this wasn't the case. There was a huge danger in establishing Krasko as a racist because this is an extremely sensitive subject matter. At the same time, you can't simply have the character be defined by that one and only element. It makes Krasko come across lazy, both as a character and as a concept. Maybe more could have been done with the villain, especially in displaying why he was such a vile, disgusting piece of work, attempting to rewrite Rosa Parks' triumphant achievement. Instead, Krasko is the victim of a biased viewpoint, which tragically lowers the quality of the overall narrative and the message it's trying to convey. Number 1. Jack Robertson it's pretty hard to think of a worse villain within modern Doctor Who. Similar to Krasko, Jack Robertson was a painfully obvious attempt by Chris Chibnall to display a political message. Again, this isn't a terrible idea. So many Doctor Who tales have told absolute belters when it comes to storytelling based on the writer's beliefs and personal opinions on the world around them. The third Doctor's era is a testament to this. Unless you've been living under a blessed rock for the last four and a bit years, you've probably heard the name Donald Trump. Trump. Now, whether you liked him or disliked him, it's a fair judgement to state he was a controversial leader, but that hardly meant you needed to have an entire narrative revolved around a blatant Trump wannabe. Everything about the character was supposed to poke fun at the president, and this is a sure way to alienate some of the viewers, particularly some of the American viewers. Now, not only are you throwing shade at those who supported Trump, but you're potentially pushing away some of those who dislike Trump. Think about it. You're essentially reminding them of all the hard times they've experienced under his leadership whilst desperately craving the escapism from reality. You're also wasting a well-established actor in Chris Noth. Sure, if this was meant to be some kind of parody, you could perhaps get away with this depending on the execution, but it's not. It's played dead straight, and it's made all the worse because of it. This was just a poorly executed concept that left many Whovians feeling bitter. Given Robertson returned in Revolution of the Daleks, one hoped the character might actually be reworked, but alas, this was not the case. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.